Are you ready, Christine? I'm very ready. Are you ready, Mama? I am so ready. Ooh, let us have the pleasure of going. Let us go to Southampton, England. And then to the scariest place on Earth, the middle of the ocean. True. What are we doing this week, guys? And next week. Oh, this is a two-parter. Is this our first two-parter? Our first ever. I mean, some will argue it should not have been. (laughs) Gone with the Wind definitely should have been broken up. It was longer Uh than the movie. Yeah. Uh -oh. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. As this may become. We are going to Southampton, um, 2,240 passengers and crew board a ship called Unsinkable on August 10th, 1912, leaving England headed to New York. What could go wrong? Of course we are doing one of my favorite movies ever. Wherever you are. Yes. Oh, the I, I, of the Bush family. I, I sang over Christine saying this is her one of her faves all time. I think it might be my favorite movie of all time. You know, it holds up. It, it does. so holds up. Oh, my it gosh. The eye oh candy. Oh, my God. I Just was crying. I was so mad at myself. And I was so in love. I didn't cry. I which shed. I don't have a heart. I no, didn't. because well, here's the thing. <laughs> I saw this when it came out the first time, and this this is one of the reasons why I haven't revisited it, because I was just a complete sobbing mess. Yeah, I was mm. too. I was. I mean, you couldn't mess. catch your breath. <laughs> yeah. And now, like, watching it, it was just interesting, like, my reactions to it were I teared up at other at the like real like humanity part yes Yes, me too not like jack and rose i didn't cry at that but when i when i first saw it oh my gosh (laughs) there was so much about the ending that i didn't know because it was just i just remember trying to keep this trying not to drown on my own snot because we ran out of tissues yeah i mean we used them all up yeah so that was why i hadn't I I would go back to it and then you know big surprise a little baby contrarian Aaron over here when it when it became like the cultural phenomenon and everybody's talking about how dreamy Leo is I'm like he's an awesome actor but I don't I didn't get swept up in all I disagree I still think Leo is so dreamy in this like at this time in this film and this is his prime. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. I had his poster all over my wall. I was more I bought after this than I was back when I was in the perfect demographic. After this movie came out, I bought a book and it had in the back of the book it had a list of every single Leonardo DiCaprio movie at the time, and I would go and rent them every week. I would get one Leonardo DiCaprio movie a week. Wow. Had to so see them all. Gonna, oh, you're going to, because in the particulars, I only went up to when he did the, this movie. So I mean, I didn't stick with it for very long. This is, I don't know. No, no do not count on me for any of that information. <laughs> you could count on me for having poster books of him and Teen Beat magazines of him, but I didn't, 
stick with him very well, long. Okay, so this movie premiered in Tokyo on November 1st, 1997, which I thought was interesting because right now the Tokyo Olympics are happening. And so I, I always like that synergy. And then it premiered in the U.S. on December 19th, 19, 1997. So I was in my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. So Christine, how... 1997, I was 10. So, like, probably... And I was in fifth grade, grade and I remember by my best friend, Savannah Klassen, we didn't go to school together after um, elementary school. Wait, what, what month did it premiere in? December. December. So it was the middle okay, of yeah. the school year. Oh, yeah. We went and saw this three times in the theater together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. she, she was one of those little. And I was girls. ten, so I think girls. this was my first. You know, yeah, this was your first introduction, like the first time you think somebody's dreamy on the TV. You know? Right, right. What are these feelings? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, they haven't changed one bit. <laughs> and I think that that was with me. I remember watching it. So I'm a senior in high school, and. To me, when I watched the film, Leonardo DiCaprio seemed really young and really skinny. And then when I watched, when I rewatched it, I was like, he's not, like, he's definitely younger because, you know, we've grown with him. And so now seeing him, like, you know, he's an older man and stuff. But I was surprised by he's as I thought he was when I was watching it as a teenager. And you know what else I will say about um, our hero, Kate Winslet? Yes. Is she, I loved her in this movie because she wasn't like, you know, unbelievably skinny and I feel like she's like, she's beautiful, but she's like a normal person, you know, like. Mm -hmm. I feel like she got knocked for that a lot at that time. There was a lot about her weight. And that she almost didn't get the part in this. And I think that I think that Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet are one of the big reasons, probably I think for me personally, the top reason why this movie has aged so remarkably well. Yeah. Yeah. Is because of the masterstroke and casting that you got two of the greatest actors. Like, think there about was one movie. flaw. There was only one moment where they slipped up. And that was when they ran out on the boat at the end. They can't, finally got out of, like, when she saves him, whatever, <laughs> to go up. And she runs out and goes, the lifeboats are gone. <laughs> and that was the only moment in the movie where I was like, "What? that, that should have been included. Like, that was, like, yeah. clearly. <laughs> but other than that, flawless performance. I mean, they, they have, can you imagine if it had been, um, like if Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, no, you know, Mm -hmm. like then it just, it doesn't, it doesn't age well, but you get these two, I I mean, that's what I was just struck by their performances. I was like, yeah, no wonder, like, yeah, you see it. Up until the very end when they're hanging on the back of the boat Mm -hmm. and she's making Mm -hmm. eye contact with the other girl and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. So all right. Let, let's particulars, the particulars, the particulars. <laughs> so, um, 
It was produced, written, and directed by James Cameron. He had previous to this directed The Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, which I remember when we stayed in Garmish and that was the only movie that we had to watch. So we just kept watching The Abyss over and over again. I remember. T2, I'm glad I don't. Terminator 2. He also later did Avatar. And he's a National Geographic Sea Explorer. Oh. Well, nerd alert. In 2012, James Cameron became the first person to perform a solo descent to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Teeny, get ready to be terrified. Oh, God. The Mariana Trench, which is located, if you look at a globe and you go to Japan, put one finger on Japan, one finger on Papua New Guinea, and then meet them in the middle, that's kind of on the globe where the Mariana Trench is. I got Japan. I have no idea where New Guinea is. <laughs> well, Papua New Guinea is is directly south of Japan. Oh, okay. So okay. then, if you go in the middle, okay, thereabouts, it. it's the that's where the Mariana Trench is. It's the deepest part of the Earth's ocean. I don't want to ever be anywhere around that. So he descended into that in Deep Sea Challenger submersible. This is how deep the Mariana Trench is. If Mount Everest which is 5.5 miles above sea level, were hypothetically placed upside down inside this trench, its peak would still... Oh, not upside down. If it was placed at the bottom of the trench, its peak would still be underwater by more than 1.2 miles. Oh, my gosh. Because the Titanic was like two and a half miles down. Right. So this this trench is. Oh my like, god! So and I don't know if he. I, I don't. No, know. No, did he not go to the Titanic? He did as well, but he's a national. Oh, he Geographic did. He got to go. He got to go see the Titanic. I, yeah, I and, read that he did this movie in order to be able to do more research on the Titanic. Well, I don't know if this is there. Go on, continue. Go on, particulars. Okay, so we're going to digress so much. Continue to scare me. Well, yeah, because also, weirdly, I've been into this fascination about the Drake Passage. So I've been into like oceans and seas and stuff. It's been weird over here. But anyway, the music is by James Horner. Remember? Oh, well, now that we're moving on to James Horner. Okay. Can I go back? Can we back up to James Cameron? I have an issue with him because it wasn't until last night. That this is this is not an original movie. He remade the movie. Yes. This is a remake. A mm-hmm. night to remember. People knew that? No, it wasn't a night to Yeah. Well, there, it wasn't it, but there's also Titanic, another film that came out in nineteen fifty three. i you'll get into why I know that later. But yes, okay. there is also a night to remember. Mm-hmm. Well, I watched a night to remember last night. Oh. It's the exact same movie. This should have been advertised as a remake. Right. Well, the reason that it's the exact same movie is kind of because... So, A Night to Remember is a book that was written... Because I have it. It was written in 1955 by Walter Lloyd. And it's a nonfiction book. And in that book, he interviewed 63 of the survivors. So right. then that is a non-fish. So it, it's pretty much like the, the historical accounts of what happened. And then that book was turned in to the 1958 movie, A Night to Remember. And so then 
James Cameron in retelling it. He is, I don't, I mean, is there a love story? Like, is there a Jack It's the Jones? exact same, like the same exact shots and the same oh. dialogue. And I get that it's a true story. And a lot of the things that they were retelling were true. And, you know, you don't want to, but it's like down to the way they shot the ship sinking. It was the exact same shots. Oh. It would go from the lifeboat and then to the, sh then to like the ship. You know, the two people that are like, oh, I smell your head. And they're on the thing and they shot them the same exact way. Wow. It ended the same exact way. There was a love story. There was a necklace, that, a heart of the ocean? There wasn't a heart of the ocean, but oh. that scene where, what's his face? Uh, Andrews is looking at the clock and yes. Jack and Rose come in. That that exact scene is in a night tour. I don't know. Well, that's I didn't think it should have been. Uh -huh. It should have been. It's This is a remake of A Night to Remember. I see. So yeah, the love but, story is a little bit different, but it's still like different classes and mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. But but uh, James Cameron isn't that guy that's gonna be like <laughs> James Cameron liar. is a dick. Yeah, he is a yeah. Dick. He's a liar. I didn't know this the whole time. <laughs> during this movie, oh my God, we are on tangents. But during this movie, he had an affair with. Uh, um, the, the daughter, the granddaughter, because yeah, yeah. that became his wife. Yeah, and yeah, well, he was he was married to Linda. Linda Hamilton. Hamilton. Linda one arm shotgun Hamilton. Exactly, and he and he was not being discreet or anything about it. Well, Linda Hamilton was his second wife, whom he met, I believe, while he was still married Doing to Terminator. his first wife. Yeah who was the per a producer and was the one that helped him. I think I could be wrong. Don't reference me. Like everybody has the internet. So check yourself, but I'm pretty sure his first wife, I believe it's Gail Ann Hurd. She was a producer and people liked the script for the Terminator, but they weren't going to let him direct it because he was doing, um, stuff with, uh, Roger Corman, like special effects. And, and he had done like, uh, Piranha, which was a, a horrible movie, but that was the way that he was able to first direct. And so he wrote this script, Terminator, and people loved the script, but they weren't going to give... They are like, who's the, the guy that did Piranha? It might have even been Piranha 2 or something that he did. And they are like, no, we're not going to let this guy direct this movie. And so the, his future first wife bought it for a dollar so that he could direct it. And then I think while he was making Terminator, he met Linda Hamilton. So... Yeah. So he's a dog. Yep. Well, I just thought, I, you know, I, how did I never hear about, I mean, I know I'm sure I've heard like read about it or whatever, but how did I never know? So after you finish watching Titanic, go watch A Night to Remember. It's very good. It also aged very, it was, looks really good for being 1958. How I thought, long was it? I thought we were probably Two hours. doing A Night to Remember at some point. Just because I was, that's our wheelhouse. It's an old film. I know. Well, then I was like, well, shit, I should have picked that movie. Well, but we No, because you love... We I have do, a yeah. lot to discuss with this. Yeah. I still do love it. And, and, and yes, one last thing about James Cameron. He is known for um, his non-enlightenment um, sort of... He's not a very new age kind of director. He is a get in your face and yell at you... Uh, yeah. has that kind of temperament, you know. Leave you in the cold water until you get hypothermia. 
Yeah, because, yeah. Yeah. Kate Winslet got hypothermia. Oh, she, oh, had, like, no. she got like a whole bunch of stuff that happened to her. To her. And that, yeah. That's why there's a quote for her that, that she didn't, um, she was like, I'm not going to work with him until, unless I get paid a whole bunch of money. And I think she's in the upcoming Avatar. Mm-hmm. If I'm not, so hey, big ups to you, Kate Winslet. Yeah. Cause I know you, you got yours. paid. Yep. Yep. Catch them checks. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. okay, back to the cartoon. James Horner. James Horner, he did Glory, Field of Dreams, Apollo 13, Braveheart, and Avatar. Uh-huh. So he's done a lot. The director of photography but was... He was, what, the, he was the musician. He did the music, right? He did the score, yes. The score. So I actually had a... Um, this is how obsessed I was. I had a book of all the sheet music for the cello parts. <sighs> Mm. Could, mm-hmm. Did you play it on your cello? Yeah, I knew how to play all of it. She's just she. Did you yeah. learn how to play the cello parts and what what they were playing while the ship was going down? So you could. I'm sure. <laughs> you could read. Your dad's walking by. Like, <laughs> what is this? A sinking? The sinking Titanic? This is what they're playing? I want to hear you play the cello. Well, you're about. <laughs> 25 years too late. <laughs> 23 or something. Would you play and just have a single tear rolling down your chest? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Aaron, director of photography. Russell Carpenter, who also did True Lies, Ant Man, and Hard Target, to name a few. The editor, there were three of them. Conrad Buff. Listen to what this guy did. He's done so many, but I thought, like, what a vast array, a cornucopia of different projects. The Empire Strikes Back, Ghostbusters, Spaceballs, and Training Day, just to name a few. Wow. Wow. James Cameron also is credited as an editor. And Richard A. Harris, same thing with this guy. The Bad News Bears, Mommy Dearest, Fletch, and one of my personal favorites, Wildcats. I know. I'm putting that on the list. Um. Okay. So, starring as Jack Dawson, mm. he was he was around 22 at the time that this picture was being filmed. We have the great Leonardo DiCaprio. So, leading up to this film, he was in This Boy's Life, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Romeo and Juliet. And Marvin's room. So he was, he wasn't known as the pretty boy that this made him. He was known as the next, to me, the next River Phoenix. Like he was the next young Brando, you know, the next young serious actor, the next De Niro, you know, that young. Right. Cause he was on uh, a TV show. Growing pains. Growing pains. And he wasn't there as like the cute guy because the, the guy on Growing Pains was supposed to be the cute guy. He was the cute guy's friend or something. Yeah, he was in the when it jumped the shark and they like had to bring in somebody new, like the cousin or the friend or the troubled teen. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, he had acting bona fides and he didn't take this role seriously because he was just like, this is, this is fluff. Like he didn't really want to do it. And so when he did the audition, 
he was just joking around and like goofing off. And it was just in a split moment. It was really the casting. Oh, and I didn't write her name down because she's so important to this. She was the one that found both Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. And oh. there was just something in there where right before he like broke up where it was like, no, like this kid has it. Just just convince him to. And so then James Cameron, I think, talked to him and was like, no, we're not going to give Jack a limp. We're not going to give him like all the things that a young actor wants to play. You know, he's <laughs> not going to be weird. And, yeah, he's not going to be schizophrenic or anything. So this is just it. He was just like, just think like this is your, your Jimmy Stewart part. This is who Jack is. He's the Jimmy Stewart part. So just be super charming. And he was. And he yep. says that he hated his performance in it. He just sees a brat up there on stage, on the screen. Well, I thought, like, he, was, uh, he had a bad attitude while filming. I mean, he's 22, like. Yeah. Like, how and, do you, and I'm sure he looks back on it now and is like, fuck, I should have, like, I could have put a lot more effort in. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. that was that was the role of Jack. Jack was living on yeah. the day-to-day. He was living day-to-day. And that's probably how he was. He's like a young, like early, early 20s. He's already successful enough in Hollywood. So, you know, he's enjoying his whole status as a, you know, young, good looking guy in Hollywood without all of the crushing fame that's about to come his way. Yeah. It is horrible. It is remarkable. Mm -hmm. Like, though, like his life and career could have gone so many different ways that he's kind of almost in like the LeBron James category of wow like whatever I I think of you and no matter who you turned out to be as a real person just the fact that you are not strung out on meth and just alive and still acting and like oh yeah that could have gone really wrong oh Mm -hmm. so many ways We have Kate Winslet. She was around 21 at the time of this. She had already done Heavenly Creatures, Sense and Sensibility, Hamlet, and Hamlet. So she was not as well known as Leonardo DiCaprio, but she, like, Sense and Sensibility was a pretty big movie. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those movies, like I mentioned earlier about how I had watched the film. It was like, oh. And then years, a couple of years later, when I was in college, I saw Heavenly Creatures. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, Kate Winslet is, she is a bona fide actress. Like, she is mm-hmm. super talented at acting. Um, which I didn't know when I was watching it. I mean, I knew she was a good performer, but it was one of those things. I remember seeing heavenly creatures and then in my mind upping my estimation of her like oh wow yeah she's she's way more talented than i thought she was and so then the two of them leo and kate reunited in the 2008 film revolutionary road which is dark (laughs) it is dark i have a very dark Oh, oh very dark they're a married oh. couple. It's oh. in the in the fifties. Yeah. How old was she when this was filmed? About twenty-one. Then I just always loved that they stayed friends and they like she they still recite Titanic lines to each other. Aw. Mm-hmm. And, and it's they talk interesting. All the time. 
like her career after this, she became a huge star, but she is said to have said she still had a lot to learn about acting. Even that she knew at that at her young age, she still had a lot to learn and she was unprepared to be a huge star. So you know mm-hmm. the studios were throwing all these big projects to her and she just was turning them down and turning them down. And I remember in around like 2000 and stuff that that was a kind of a big story of like, what's Kate Winslet doing to her yeah. career? And it's yeah. like, Kate Winslet's doing what she needs to do. She, she's going to be fine. Yeah. Well, she's- I am what mayor of Easttown, I was just shocked at her ability to not have an accent, a British accent. And who's the actor that played Fabrizio? Danny Nucci. He was saying, um, and the filming, he kept, he would always ask her to do an English or an American accent. And she was like, so good at it. The weird thing about this movie is I had all of these different thoughts about it, especially at the end, they'll get to later, but her character Rose is supposed to be from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, wait, so then she's an American? Because the thing with Kate Winslet is she has very rarely actually perfor- like done a performance in her British accent. Yeah. She's always Well, she doing- can just do any accent. Yeah, yeah she can. So, hmm. so, yeah. Well, they probably were originally, you know, they probably just moved there when she was a baby or something. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll her family all has an accent. Okay. It it's yeah, I do I do have questions. Billy Zane as Cal Hockley. He was in Back to the Future, Dead Calm, and Tombstone. I thought he was fantastic in this film. He's such a good bad guy. He is so good in it. And you know what I do remember when I first saw this film? I I didn't like his character. I knew his character was a dick. I didn't want to be with him or anything. But objectively speaking, I found him the most attractive. <laughs> I found him more attractive than Leonardo DiCaprio when I watched it. He is attractive. I didn't like his eyeliner. Oh, I didn't. He always has, because he wasn't he in the mummy or the, there was something he was in with. He was in the phantom as well. The phantom, right. (laughs) I I feel like he, maybe he has really. What was that show? He was in that show, right? Um, You know, the one. Uh, yeah, yeah, Boardwalk yeah. Empire. Oh, was he? I didn't really him? watch much Boardwalk Empire. I don't. I didn't write it down. I don't remember. We yeah. have uh, Francis Fisher as Ruth Dewitt Bukater. Bukater. She was in Unforgiven, The Lincoln Lawyer, and The Kingdom. Like she's been in so many other things. You just see her face, and you're like, oh yeah, that lady. I always thought that she, you know, the granddaughter. Yes. I I thought that she was the same person playing those two roles. Oh yeah. She does look, they look a lot, a lot alike. Yeah. Yes. We have Gloria Stewart as Rose Dawson Calvert. Um, She made her film debut in 1932's street of a woman street of women. Streets of women. Yeah, she was in pre-code films. Um, She was also with Shirley Temple in Poor Little Rich Girl. And later on, she was in My Favorite Year. And apparently, she's also in Wildcats. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's on the list now. Wildcats connection is 
wild. Um, yeah, James Cameron wanted a retired screen actress um, who was, you know, obviously very old because she has to play a 101-year-old woman. Um, so it was kind of between Gloria Stewart and Faye Ray. And Gloria Stewart, she was she was like, yeah, I'm all about it. And, and James Cameron liked that he could see... Um, like a resemblance between the fieriness of Kate Winslet and mm-hmm. Gloria Stewart. And so it's like, oh, this is going to yeah. work. What were you going to say, Teeny? Um, it wasn't Billy Zane. It was oh. um, Bobby Cannavale. Ah, uh, Bobby Cannavale. Yes. <laughs> From Union City, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he's married to... I like him. I think he's good looking. I he's married to... What's her face? Rose, Rose Byrne. Yeah, he is. He mm-hmm. is. I didn't know that. Yep. And he has nothing to do with Titanic, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but recasting. Hmm. We have Bill Paxton as Brock Lovett. He was also in Aliens, True Lies, Apollo 13, Twister, and I know him because he was in Big Love. He was. <laughs> that show was, man, that was one of those first HBO shows where it just got me and I ended up watching the whole thing. Man, yeah. he he was good. He's no longer with us, but he, he, he was, he, he, he was just was able to just, he could just play like just that very simple, good hearted kind of down to earth guy. And he was he features prominently in a documentary from Disney called Ghost of the Abyss, which is about them going back down in 2001 to the Titanic with better equipment and all mm-hmm. this stuff. I watched it. I recommend it if you're into mm. the Titanic and all that. Yeah, team, you need to watch it. I need to watch um, that. Yeah, it, it's super cool. And he's just he's just Bill Paxton in it, and you're like, yeah, that's he's just I got. He's not dumb, but he's just that, you know, just that good-natured kind of optimistic guy who gets in awe of things. Like, oh, like he would have gotten, a, like, the double rainbow kind of vibe to him. And then, but sometimes his, his in-awe-ness kind of can be taken as, like, you're an idiot, but he's not an idiot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. just got that kind of vibe going for him. Like, oh, you're just like a... a a good dude. Um, we have Susie Amos, the future wife of James Cameron. She played Lizzie Calvert, the granddaughter. She was in Twister, Blown Away, and The Usual Suspects. And we have Danny Nucci. Oh, she played- was in Twister. Okay. Mm-hmm. She He played Fabrizio. He was in Crimson Tide, The Rock, that old feeling. And he's been in so much TV. He's just got a that guy face when he showed up. I was just like, I, I've seen this guy. That's how I was, too. I couldn't say where, but I knew I'd seen him. So that does it for the fictional characters in Titanic. So here are the historical characters Ooh. that were in the Titanic. Good. We have Kathy Bates. Yes, we do. The unsinkable Molly Brown. So we know Kathy Bates from Fried Green Tomatoes. She was also in Misery, Dolores Claiborne, and About Schmidt. We have Victor Garber as 
as Thomas Andrews. He was the shipbuilder. Man, Victor Garber, he you've seen him on all sorts of television, like Alias. He was also in Sleepless in Seattle, Argo, Legally Blonde. He's been in Power. But what I didn't know is, like, Victor Garber is Broadway bona fide. I did not know either. But, yeah, he's been in tons of Broadway, and that's that. he has a big Broadway. No, oh, he looks like a Broadway guy. He's got a good Broadway face. We yeah, have- but not a good Irish accent. <laughs> That was really pathetic. Oh, I don't know enough about it. I live in a glass house when it comes to accents. Well, okay. Um, how do I say this, Christine? Eric Braden? Yes, my guy. Yes, a.k.a. Victor Newman on The Young and the Restless. Mm-hmm. He played John Jacob Astor IV, who was the richest man on the ship. Eric Braden was in 100 Rifles, The Rat Patrol, also in Escape from the Planet of the Apes. But like I said, mm. he's probably most... Oh, if you yes. watch Young and the Restless, you're like, oh, that's Victor Newman. He is fitting to play the, play the richest man. He's also the richest man in Genoa City. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. All right, so here's some nerd alerts for you, Christine. In Eric Braden's autobiography titled... I'll be damned. Oh my God, I need to read that. I gotta get that for the beach. Uh It was published by HarperCollins in 2017. Braden revealed that he was a survivor on the MV Wilhelm Gustloff sinking. What? Yes, the MV Wilhelm Gustloff was a German armed military transport ship which was sunk on January 30th, 1945 by submarine S-13 in the Baltic Sea while it was evacuating German civilian refugees. Oh, my God. It is estimated that 9,400 people died. It was the largest loss of life in a single ship sinking in history. Braden told Cindy Elvansky that filming the scene in Titanic, in which his character drowned, was, quote, one of the scariest moments in this business for me. Oh was he God. a German? Yes, he's German. Oh my gosh! Let's We've hear it for the German. Nine thousand people died. I I like you to read his autobiography because I've got questions about what yeah, his family I'll read was it. doing. Yeah, in Germany. Yeah, yeah, because they <laughs> but, were being moved away. Yeah, was yeah of just I, mm. it could go so many mm. different ways. You have to tell us, Teeny. His son, yeah. Eric Braden's son, is the director that made the film *Den of Thieves*. They like they came out in the in recent years, and I really liked it. It was a heist film. So am I. His son's like a bona fide director. And then here's the nerd alert about John Jacob Astor. Um, that was the role that he was playing to relate it to today. Do you know the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City? Mm-hmm. Pastor. That's him. Yeah. He's the one that built that. I have a bunch of information on him. Nice. When I okay. Get that. So that was my uh, particulars. Okay. Well... Christine, are you going to do set the table? 
Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I forgot we talked about that. So well, I can do it. Well, no, it's okay. Because I figured okay. all we really need to say. Yeah. Is it's a story about a ship that sinks. Yeah. Yeah. And there's it's a love story built in. I guess setting the table wise, though, that there's, you know, it takes us through boarding the ship all the way until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of, I didn't realize how much was real i guess yeah yeah like they did a really good job of making things historical yes that's all the work i did on setting the table so if you have more by all means well i'll say that the that the ship sank on april 15th 1912 at 2:20 a.m so that's the time period where we are and it was but struck the, at 1140. The film yeah. actually starts with this crew of people going down to retrieve the safe. I mean, they've oh, been yes. funded by people to get the safe because they know this um, heart of the ocean necklace mm-hmm. was on, this is the fictional part, Was it should have been in that safe. And so they have these little remote controlled things that can get in there, get the safe, get it up there. So it was like, for those of you who remember back in the day, Geraldo opening the safe and there was nothing in there. But what they did even meant, up, It's even referenced in there. Yeah. Cause the guy makes a joke about like, you saw what happened to Geraldo's career. Um, when they open the safe and all the water gushes out, that's what happened when we first moved to Germany and our our whole household goods finally arrived and they opened the crate and the water gushed out like that. Everything we had was completely ruined. There was I mean our clothes were we they were on wire hangers and they all had rust stains and everything you know well you didn't know because mommy dearest had probably just either just come out or or you didn't see it because i think it came out in 1980 so you didn't know about no wire hangers yeah because now the military doesn't allow you to use wire hangers when you're moving i think because of us it's the bush accord (laughs) it's the bush accord so anyway yeah so it starts there and then this uh, southampton well, well, we're still in the in the. They open the safe. Oh yeah, they don't yeah, yeah. find the necklace. Which I have to say, I thought that the whole one of the like this movie completely holds up. But the whole framing device used to this film, because the heart of the ocean is fictional, but it was I thought a pretty good way to be able to incorporate and act and fund and actually go down to the Titanic to get the real footage and really make it a tangible living history exactly you know, to, to really bridge that piece to it so it isn't just like a oh that's just something that happened like to really get like yeah these are people people actually touched this this is mm-hmm. yeah and I thought they did a really good job like I a movie this long has a lot of potential to be slow going and I'll take a long time to get to the point, but it has my attention from the beginning till the end. Exactly. I watched it in one sitting. I when she goes, like she goes, 
the woman in the picture is me. And then they take her onto the boat and- Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And then it's when she starts reminiscing, they say, tell us your story. When she's that's, her things and that's when it cuts back to the story of the Titanic. And then at the it end, it funny. cuts back to, yeah. It was, I liked the way that it, it had like a documentary feel at the beginning and then went into this and then went back to her. So that that's our setting the table. So we are to our POC count, people of color. Okay, so I, I guess have, Fabrizio. <laughs> I have Fabrizio, so he's Italian. I have, there was an Asian man, and then there was a family of four people who, I don't know what they would be, but they were definitely were not people of European descent. So... They were kind of gathered, um, trying to decipher like the exit, uh, way. So okay. I don't know. Like, yes. I, I don't. Yes. I kind of maybe like mus of Muslim. Descent. Yes, so because just, he had on a headpiece that looked rather Muslimish. But it, but just, but basically, they were people of color. So I apologize for not knowing the exact. Excuse me, as I'm knocking. What are you? <laughs> But I do have a nerd alert tasty nugget that I'm going to drop at this moment. Drop oh, great. It. Yes. There was one black family on the real <gasps> Titanic. What? Uh, Joseph Philippe La Mercier La Roche uh, was Haitian. He, his wife, and two daughters were sailing second class. Oh, nice. Um, they were, after they got to New York, they were, it was going to go on to Haiti. So they were on oh, there for that. Interesting. Did they survive? Yeah. Yes. Well, he oh. didn't. The oh, the so wife and daughters women. did, but he was helping other women and children onto yeah. the lifeboats, and he did not survive. Wow. Wow. That's pretty. Yeah. I'll take that though. Like the one yeah. black family was able to. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Second class. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, now we are to power of cast. Okay, so I have, I mean, the, just the fact that we had to include Fabrizio in it. Remember, <laughs> also, <laughs> I mean, it ties into the arsenic and old lace of last week. How, you know, just that way of how Irish and the like, and the Irish just get. Like in this film, they are just the poorest of the poor in this. Yeah. Because um, they're leaving so, the potato the, the famine in Ireland. Yeah. So the Irish and the Italians, they're completely looked down upon. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing that happens once a cast is decided that it's gonna be built upon the color of the skin, then uh -huh. uh, <laughs> Oh, welcome. Come up then then they get to make that leap, that step up of like, okay, now I'm in the, the club. Because now, you know, Fabrizio, and I, you know, we don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, Just don't open your mouth, Fabrizio. You're going to be good. <laughs> and maybe, uh, you know, sun, say okay. your name is John. Yeah, and maybe, you know, maybe uh, apply some SPF or whatever. <laughs> That's what they would say, not what I would say. Um, and then the whole thing about just... Jack, you know, he's poor, he's in steerage, but it, it's just weird how, what is it about Jack that just allows him to just put on a tuxedo jacket and then everybody's like, oh, 
and he combed his hair. He he looks like he belongs there. What? I wonder what it is that Jack has that just enables him to be able to just make that leap into that upper echelon. Just, oh, huh. can't can't put my finger on it. Oh, does any? I have another one. Does anyone else have a, any other cast? Uh, I had one. Thing. There was one moment where Rose was saying that the ship was like a slave ship taking her back to America in yeah. chains. And I was that like, was girl, you're her. Yeah. We uh, needed to delete that line. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's also another. But I mean, that's how bad, I guess that's how bad she, she thought it was. That. Yeah. 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 Well, you really I mean, would have thought that I'm sure, but fuck. She, yeah, because she was being forced to marry for money, not love. And this guy was a jerk and, but you cannot compare your life of eating no, caviar and drinking champagne to uh, being on a slave ship. No. no. Yeah, no, because no, down no, in no. steerage, you know, there's no windows and stuff, but they're still able to, to dance and do jigs. If you were on a slave ship, Rose, you would have been chained your feet to another person's neck. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? Just laying down flat, Rose, if right. you know, like you're, but here's the thing. Also, Rose wasn't taught that. No, Rose, Rose was just taught, taught like, oh, they were slave ships. And she just probably assumed that it was that they were just sitting, you know, huddled together and stuff. And like, it might not have been the Titanic, but. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Jack didn't say, what'd you say? <laughs> yeah. Also, keep in mind. It also, this is from Rose, who at 101 years old is traveling back to the site of this traumatic incident and insists upon bringing her goldfish. So, yeah, that's yeah. just. But she is an artist. <laughs> well, <coughs> she did not. Poppy asked if she had on a kimono. I had, I guess this can fit into Power of Cast because a lot of it was how different each, I mean, you don't really, they don't really, we don't really talk about second class that much, but it was a thing. Right. Um, But I looked up how much it costs to be on the Titanic. Oh. So in 1912, a first class suite was, oh my God, I just remembered this happened last night. (laughs) <laughs> so a first class suite costs 870 pounds or $4,300 we were watching something and we were it's very embarrassing but I'm going to say it we were watching an interview and the woman said that the Titanic was 120 million pounds and I was like no wonder it sank I got some wine. <laughs> so it didn't weigh 120 million pounds. I don't know how much it weighed actually. It weighed a lot though. <laughs> um, okay, sorry, back to the ticket prices. So the first class suite back then was forty three hundred dollars. Um, but if you were to buy this, this was written in 2013. So in 2013, that would have been $75,000 for a first class suite. $75,000? Yes. Yes. In 2013's money. Oh my God. Yeah. 
a first class berth, which I guess is just like a room, not like a whole suite, maybe. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. Was one hundred and fifty dollars, or two thousand six hundred pound, or two thousand six hundred dollars in today's money. Wow. So even the difference between a first class suite, which was like what Rose and her of family course. had, yeah. seventy five thousand dollars. Seventy five thousand. Yeah. They had, the ship had eight hundred forty state rooms. Of was those- it inclusive? Like, did that include the caviar and the ship? Yeah. I would think uh-huh. so. I was th- wondering, yeah. But so it had 180 state rooms, 416 of those were first class, 162 were second, and 262 were third class. So most of the rooms were first class. Yeah, the A deck was state rooms for first class passengers, public rooms for first class passengers. Two first-class entrances, a reading room, lounge, smoking room, and a promenade for the first class. Right. And then the B deck was when there was a reception room and a restaurant, and then the stairwell for the second-class passengers. And then the C deck is when the third-class passengers could go. So you couldn't even go above C deck. Right. Third class. The second class was sixty dollars or a thousand dollars in two thousand thirteen. And then third class was $40, which was still in 2013. It was, it says 260, it ranged from 261 to $700. Oh, third class, the tickets ranged from three euro to eight euro or $40. So third class varied, I guess, depending on were you going to be put in the boiler room with a bunch of other people or Mm -hmm. you have your own room, but still like it wasn't some of the third class Rooms went up to seven hundred dollars. That's not yeah. cheap, right? No. Mm-hmm. I have also for cast the access to information, and I think yeah. that's particularly it's oh. still relevant mm-hmm. because you had the third class, which was gonna be definitely the last to know, and they you know they mm-hmm. started uh, closing up the gates because they didn't want the third class to rush up because they mm-hmm. knew the lifeboat situation. Um, but they were the first ones, obviously, to pay the price for that because mm-hmm. they're down in the bottom. And it's like, why is the ocean out? What? Um, but I, th- I think that that applies now because if you're thinking about, like, what's going on in the world, the, just the pro- – like, not – we have the internet and people um, can get caught up and really not really realize how much privilege that they have to – have it isn't just the fact that you have the internet but that you have the time to mm-hmm. yeah go out and seek information because you know you have to think of a single mother working two jobs she's not going to have time to read a study or listen to a podcast right about how the mnra vaccine was developed years ago you know, or to like, all she's going to be able to do is look on her phone, probably on some a social media platform and scroll and get the headlines. And then she's got to go to one of two jobs. Even if she does have the time, though, then is she in a job where she has access to take a day off to right. either like, you know, get a shot, get the vaccine or what about, you know, because most people need to take it at least a day off after the second shot if she's got kids. Who's going to take care of her kids? What if she can't even take that day off? So it's just, it's, 
it's just that access to information and also mm-hmm. the access to care where it's very easy to demonize well they were in third class they should have worked harder and been right. in first class to pay money you know like we don't demonize the people that are in steerage but it's very easy to be like oh if you don't have a vaccine shot then then you deserve mm-hmm. what's happening and it's like there's a you know like i'm i'm lucky enough where i was like yeah i'll take the rest of the week off get the second shot and have it so i'm prepared i also don't have a kid and i also have right. a job where I get time off when I'm sick. Right. I need to take care of something. So I just think like that's, I was just like, oh man, the access to information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> new money versus old money. Oh, I mean, yeah. they, were oh, very, yeah. they were very judgy about that. They were very judgy they're, about that. Like, but they're very judgy about that then. But now it, with the cast, if you, if you could pass, you know, if you can add to their numbers because you got that jack pass, which is the color of his skin, in, in case it wasn't clear, um, <laughs> you know, then it's then it's like, eh, we'll, we'll take you new money. And you see that happen all the time. Oh, but yeah. even within then, th- then those ranks, it is the, well, we've had it for so long. And how did you how did you get all of that money? May mm. I ask? Was mm. it? trading on human lives um the fact that rose had to marry somebody rich to keep her mother in the life to which she had become accustomed just the way they arrived at the dock i mean the the rich people came with their cars and and their valises and and somebody to carry all their luggage and the the steerage people were like, I, I got a knapsack and I'm holding three babies and get. I sold everything I own to pay for this ticket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so those were mine. So now we are two nerd alerts. Okay. So oh boy. I, I'll set the table for 1997, the year that this movie came out. Ah, uh, yes. What was happening in America and in the world? So uh, Bill Clinton was sworn in for his second term. Dolly the sheep was cloned. Remember yeah. how everyone freaked out yes. over that? Man. The North Hollywood shootout happened right down the street from me. I don't need to be reminded of that. I, every time I pass it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, that is so crazy. And when I think about it, I think that's probably a big turning point of when the police started to get militarized because the whole uh-huh. shootout happened because those guys in the shootout, they, they had their AKs, they had all of the, the vests and stuff, and the cops were still using those uh, Hill Street Blues revolvers and, and whatnot. So I think that like that shootout was like, oh, we need to up our game, and it's just... They just kept kept upping and kept upping and kept upping. Um, the notorious B.I.G. We lose him. He gets murdered in 1997. It's never been solved, correct? I mean, there's still conspiracy theories. Yeah, but it's it, that. Yeah, that's one of those. 
I've watched so many and listened to so many documentaries about it, and I still can't even explain yeah. it. Okay. Uh, Pokemon debuts in Japan. Wow. Oh, wow. My brother was obsessed with those cards. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is published. The Sorcerer's Stone. I have the Philosopher's Stone. Is it maybe it was the title? Oh, I wonder if it was published with different names in England and continue. Uh, we, have, we have teeny looking it up. Andrew Cunanan and Versace, <gasps> that whole thing happened. That was a really good mini series. Princess Diana died. So many things happened leading up. I to had this the beanie baby. Beanie babies are big. Beanie you baby. still have it because it's worth a lot of money. That's, oh, yeah, I have it. I thought maybe Adam made you get rid of it. No, my that's I have a box of beanie babies around here somewhere. Good job. Good job. Were we yeah. able to find anything about the? Harry Potter? I forgot what I was saying. It does say the movie is called The Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. And then in London, scientists report their DNA analysis findings from a Neanderthal skeleton, which supports the out of Africa theory of human evolution, placing an African Eve at 100,000 to 200,000 years ago. Thus proving everyone's got a little African in them. Yeah, take that. Uh-huh. Marjorie, what's your name, Green? But she, but you won't want to believe it because they're saying that how could there be an Eve 100 to 200,000 years ago? Because that contradicts some people's thinking. Okay, yes, the information says Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. At our next break, I'm going to get my original, and we will see. It was it says- called the Sorcerer's. There was something about the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. So, all right, well, we will look into it. I'm and sure to the see. top films, the number five film was Air Force One. Get off my plane. plane. Tomorrow Never Dies was number four. Number three was Men in Black 2. Mm-hmm. Number two was The Lost World, Jurassic Park. And would oh. anybody like to guess what the number one film of 1997 Titanic. was? Yeah. Titanic. 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 For the Oscars, the Best Picture nominations were L.A. Confidential, Goodwill Ooh, Hunting, LA The Full Monty, As Good As It Gets. And would everyone like to venture what the winner of Best Picture was? I'm going to guess Titanic. Titanic. That is correct. Does anybody know his quote when he first got up to the podium to accept it was? I'll never let go. I'm king of the the world. I like how you say it like the cowardly lion. (laughs) (laughs) So now we are two reheatables and we always do our negatives first. Oh wait, no. I think we have more nerd alerts, no? Oh, I do apologize. I thought we had nerd alerts. I figured this would be a good time to go into my nerd alerts about the people who were about real people. Yes, 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 yes. So I listened to every episode of two podcasts that I highly recommend. Well, one of them is called 
last night on the Titanic. And it is hosted by Scott Rank and Veronica Hinky. And Veronica Hinky wrote a book called The Last Night on the Titanic. And I believe it's it's like a recipe book. Like oh. she um she did a lot of research onto, you know. She did a lot of research about what it was like to be on there. There are some things like we, a menu was found of the last night on the Titanic. Um, so they know some of the things that they ate. Um, but her book is the unsinkable drinking, dining and style. And it's like not, you know, everything that was on there, but it is, um, I think it tells some history of the Titanic as well as has some recipes that have to do with it like there's some cocktail recipes and um yeah you know. how much booze do you think they had on the titanic they had a lot i saw a stat somewhere i can't remember and they were found in the bottom of the ocean they were like found like perfectly just sit it's like they sat there because there's a certain bacteria that ate the wood all around it mm, yeah they're, like, filling cases um but so they did a podcast and then I listened to another call podcast called the show about the Titanic. And it was, <laughs> it was hosted by a 10 year old boy named Edward. Oh, it was so cute. They did like an episode a month or something. And they're like 10 to 15 minutes long, but he found all these people. I listened to his first and he would like watch, I don't know if he just like watched documentaries on the history channel or something, and then reached out to these people. But Veronica Hinky was on one of his episodes. He <laughs> interviewed her. So he like actually interviewed, like at first I was like, what is this 10 year old boy doing? And he like knows so much and everybody he was interviewing, he would be like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, <laughs> yeah. I learned a lot from him. Yeah, that that age group, man, they really yes. were into the Titanic. That, yeah, that was like, what, mm -hmm. like about eight. Yeah, I was ten when mm -hmm. this when this movie mm -hmm. came out. Um, yeah, and it's it's cute. He like thanks his friend for editing it because he's been really tired with school and. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna listen to that. You should. Um, and he was the one he interviewed this woman called Catherine Offinger who, um, I had something pulled up about her. She was one of the people who went down in 1985 to, on the exploration to find the shipwreck. Yes, with Ballard. There's more on that later. Oh, oh really? So many tasting nuggets. Okay, I'll let you cover that. But I thought it was interesting how they talked about, like, she said the only thing, we said all along, the only thing we were going to take from the, Titanic was pictures and like uh, they weren't you know like they don't support like taking it out of the ocean to like right. put it back together or like just like let it be you know yeah a lot of yeah. people want to bring stuff up to sell it to get rich people have and I believe that people have brought oh stuff yeah up. yeah oh yeah um so but back to my people so the the one the sh last night on the Titanic, the way that they did all of their 
episodes are like called like the cooks, the writers, the bakers, the lifesavers. And like, they talk about different people that were on board. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't realize how many of these people were portrayed in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, some of them. So first of all, unsinkable Molly Brown, Mm -hmm. who I think is the most well-known survivor of the Titanic. One of them, um, played by Kathy Bates. She was new money. Yes, she was. Um, but she, her husband, um, found money in mining and there is a necklace that was thought to be hers that was found because I guess kind of like the heart of the ocean because it had like gold nuggets or something on it. So they think that she was the only wife of a miner on board. So they Uh think that the necklace was hers. Um, But Molly Brown loved to entertain and she was like, she would throw these great parties and she created, it is believed like a little cart that you would take around at parties and it had a section to keep things cool and a section to keep things hot. So like when you're bringing appetizers around and stuff, it would keep them the right temperature. Um, and she would have these like grand parties. There's like pictures of her with her, like at the dinner table with all of her friends there. She didn't drink, but, um, it is believed that she would have lots of champagne at her parties. Um, I thought she looked a lot like Kathy Bates. She when I looked does. at the picture, I'm like, oh my oh, gosh, really? that's perfect casting. Yeah. Do you know uh, who else played the unsingable Molly Brown in the 1953? I was just looking at that. Titanic? Debbie Reynolds. No, she Debbie Reynolds played her in the unsingable Molly Brown, but in the 1953 film Titanic, the un- well, she's not the unsinkable Molly Brown. She's a different character name, but that's the that's really who she's playing. Thelma Ritter. Oh, really? Yes. Our Thelma. We love our Thelma. Um, so what I thought was interesting that you don't really see from the movie is that Molly Brown was actually like a really good person. And she, um, did a lot for like in the women's suffrage movement. Um, she gave a lot of money to people. She also like, it said that she would always bring gifts anywhere she was staying. Like, obviously, like, she was in one of these suites, but she would bring gifts. But they were saying, like, not just to the people who could get her a better room or something like that. Like, anybody who was working where she was staying, she would bring, like, a gift to them. And she seemed to, like, really appreciate everybody that was serving her or working where well, she, she was. the people who served her as human beings. Of, yes. Like, oh, you're, I recognize you. Yes. You're doing a job. You're mm-hmm. not better uh-huh. than I am. You're just... Mm-hmm. Right. It was like, that she had her heart. She had the heart of size of a ham. Um, <laughs> the heart the size of a ham. You yeah. know, that's something somebody would say about me, and that's yeah. a compliment. But really, can't we do something a little? Nah, no, know. yours is the heart of a Virginia honey baked ham. <laughs> Not just uh, any ham. Thank you. With Thank the ham you. bone in place to make an excellent bean soup. Bean soup later. <laughs> so she was on the Titanic because she had spent a couple of months at traveling to Paris, visiting her daughter as part of the John Jacob Astor the Fourth party. 
So she was like hanging with him until she received word. She's from Denver. Yes. That her oldest grandchild was seriously ill. So she was like, I got to get out of here. Let me go on the Titanic and spend $75,000 on a ticket. Um, I think it was the first, it was probably the first one that was departing. She, you know, she's like, I got to go now. Yeah. All right. Well, the Titanic. Yeah. And originally her daughter was supposed to go with her, but she decided to stay in Paris because she was studying. Um, so she still would have made it because she was. Well, yeah, right. she would have been fine. She would have been on that boat with 12 people. Um, well, so she was, she helped others board the lifeboats before they finally persuaded her to leave in a lifeboat number six. Um, and I think, no, hers wasn't full, which I, so crazy that they were not filling these lifeboats. Yes. Um, she, I wonder if it's, if it, like what we were saying, the access to information or like if the crew yeah, was did the crew know or not? Like, like if the crew did the math and was like, no, like they weren't doing the math. We didn't, like we don't have enough or it's just right. like, oh yeah, we, we have like, I'm sure that and the like when shit goes me. down the way that you like all plan, sometimes yeah. your plans well, all go out of place. There's, when... there's that famous quote. I think it's, it's either I think it's Mike Tyson. It was like, yeah, when you get in the ring, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> you know, like everybody has an idea of how the how they're yeah. gonna fight the fight, but then you get punched in the face once, and pff, it all goes out the window. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the thing. Like with the pandemic, but yeah, we yeah. we had a plan, and then the shit hits the fan, and then the people. That's again the access to information, right? Because you know, you're thinking, well, I'm in my position. I know my role. I'm going to do it. These people who are making all the big bucks, the decision makers above me, they've got this under control because they, they have to. They, they, this is part of their job. So obviously the shipbuilders and the captains and all them, they know that how many lifeboats we're supposed to have. And, yep. and then the thing is that the lifeboat, we always dump on it and they're like, oh, they, they didn't have enough lifeboats and stuff. But the guy, it was something I was watching where, I think it was a documentary, The Ghost of the Abyss, where they were like, yeah, but we had, an, we it, w- it wasn't unlawful. So the, yeah, like, it wasn't know, the, the thing, Titanic, it wasn't the maker's fault. It was the board of whoever decided they said it was okay. Yeah. Right. So exactly. it's, it's then, but, but really though, it does all, it's that finger pointing thing. The makers knew that they needed more lifeboats on it. And they didn't but want it was to. unsinkable. Why waste the money? Yeah. yeah. And also it was going to clutter the debt, clutter the, the deck deck. and all that. Yeah, it and took so up the, deck space. The lawmakers, well, who made the laws, you know, are like, well, we want to have it. You, We need to have this many. And, the, and you're like, well, but we're, I pay for you to be on the seat. Do we need that many lifeboats, my man? Do we? And they're like, I yeah. guess we don't. So then that's how it's that whole access right. to information that makes the rules and then who gets screwed by it not molly brown she was got on a boat um and when they got in the lifeboat obviously like they go back and the ship sinks and she one of the things that she did is she tried to convince them to turn back around mm-hmm. and save more people um, but the crewman in charge of the boat was like, we can't go back. They're going to tip over the boat. Like everybody's just going to try to call in and then we're going to get tipped over. And so then she threatened to throw that guy overboard. 
Um, but sources vary as to whether or not Herbo actually did go back or not, but it is known that she that she was on to um, row so that they could keep warm and not die of hypothermia. Mm-hmm. And also, because um, in, in the movie, they they kind of dramatize that scene. And, yeah. you know, that guy, it's really easy to cast him as a villain, but he had a really well, good point. Yeah, he did. And, so. and I, to remember, they did a good thing where this scene happened. I think they did a better job of portraying this in the night to remember because she's like, we got to go back and save these people. And he was like, no, they're going to throw us overboard. So another lifeboat came over and they got everyone from one lifeboat into the other one. So that way they just went back with an empty boat. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they did portray that, but it wasn't. It, that was when uh, Rose was hanging on to the it was not a door. It was wood paneling. And. Um, that had happened when they tied the boats together so that they could get, so they could fill them to capacity and then take one boat back to look for survivors. But it was, and it was also after, because the thing that, that they were in the movie, how, you know, wanting to paddle and yes, keep them warm, but also that thing was a huge ship. Yeah. And it's going down. It's it's creating a suction. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. powerful, powerful suction. So they're like, no, we have to get away from yeah. this as soon as possible. Like, you don't understand the force of it. Oh, it is. Yeah. That is one of those just. But oh. luckily, those people had that information because I wouldn't have known that. No. Yeah. And somehow Jack knew it. Well, yeah, Jack knew about physics. Probably worked on a ship. Um, so last about her, she... Uh, so she was rescued. She went to the, on the Carpathia, but she worked to organize a survivors committee with other first class survivors that um, helped get basic necessities for the second and third class survivors yeah. and even provide informal counseling. And then she also um, worked to provide like a gift. I think it was a, like a silver cup or something engraved with names on it to the the captain of the Carpathia. Wow. Also, yeah. she wasn't to her friend. She was Maggie. She wasn't Molly. Huh? Oh yeah, her, her name was Margaret. Yeah, and she, and everybody knew her as Maggie, and it's just unsinkable Molly Brown just took over. Huh. And so everybody's like, "Oh, it's Molly," but they think, "No, she went by Maggie." And something that gets little talked about, but you know, we we think of the first the people who survived and stuff. If you were a lot of people ended up in abject poverty that were survivors oh, yeah. because yeah, they lost everything. Everything, exactly. And, um, yeah, there, there the was The poverty and the PTSD and the... Um, okay, so that's Molly Brown, Margaret, Maggie. John Jacob Astor, mm-hmm. the richest man on the ship who did not make it off of the Titanic. Um, he did a lot of things with hotels. He was very rich, but he was also an inventor. Mm. And he was only four in his 40s when he died on the Titanic, which is that was interesting because I think a lot of the time they portray these people to be these like old people, but they're right they in their younger. 60s or 70s. Yeah. Um, so a couple of the things that he did in his life, he uh, created, he was his hotel, one of his hotels was the Knickerbocker Hotel in Manhattan, and it was the first hotel to have subway access. 
Wow. Like now it's like, you know, and I think there's still a part of the subway where you can see like the entrance, the old entrance to the Knickerbocker. Wow. Um, crazy. You already mentioned the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, which is a hotel that he merged with his cousin. He merged hotels with his cousin to make this one. Um, he also had the St. Regis Hotels were his, which, oh, holy wow. shit, I didn't know about the St. Regis Hotels and looked them up. It's like $800 a night to stay in yeah. a St. Regis Hotel. And Ooh, he was... Some... What? Oh, I was just saying, like, th- these hotel names... Back in like when uh, back in the day when you would watch like daytime TV and talk shows and stuff, and at the end there would be like promotional consideration right. provided yeah, by well, and Victoria. Yeah, and that's what I would hear like these hotel yeah. names. Well, so the St. Regis Hotel is very ritzy, and so he about him he was like he loved fancy things. Like he created using velvet ropes for events. Like he came up with oh. that. Uh-huh. To keep the riffraff out. Yeah, much better than nylon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and another, like, he would often saber champagne bottles at events. Like, with, like cut the top off. Oh, my God, with a saber? And yes. so, to this day, in Saint, almost every St. Regis hotel across the world, at 6 p.m., they saber a champagne bottle in the lobby. Every day? <laughs> Every day. Every day. That is so cool. Is That's it Cornell that is so or is cool. it? We should, I know. We should stay. Moet Sean Don. Yeah. Um, he, and oh, when he did bed. it, it said he would dress as Napoleon Bonaparte and saber it he seems Man, like a fun time. I want to go to a St. Regis Hotel and be there at six o'clock at night. Well, also at the St. Regis Hotel, it is believed that the Bloody Mary was invented here. The cocktail. Hello. And at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, no, the Knickerbocker Hotel, it is claimed that the perfect martini was invented at the Knickerbocker Motel. Perfect gin martini. Oh my God. There was another. Um, cocktail that sounded delicious to me. It was invented in Philly, but it made headlines at the Waldorf Astoria bar called the Clover Club, which is raspberry simple, a raspberry simple syrup martini. Now that does sound amazing. That mm-hmm. sounds like the, the one that you can get at Bonefish. Is sounds it that? Oh, the raspberry oh, yeah. martini. Oh, yeah. Um, and the only other thing about him, the thing that is, seems different, but I guess as part of how he got rich, he was like a big inventor, inventor, and he invented the street cleaner as we know it today. And so one of the things that, um, shit, what's her name, was saying, Veronica Hinky was saying was like, you know, he was only in his 40s and he already invented the street cleaner. He had the patent for it, I guess. Um, like how much more would he have done if he yeah. had been or like what else could he have invented and, and, and I just thought he was like a rich you know a rich yeah, person but I mean, yeah he came he was the fourth he came from a family yeah he of... came from money but he was apparently like he he did but he would he had uh dreams and aspirations instead of just living on that on that oh, money yeah. but but also, it like, yeah, he also could have gone on and done great things, but then he also could have, like, 
been for the Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> you know? true. We have no idea. He could have done exactly. these awesome, great things. And then he also could have been a horribly anti-Semitic and a, just a horrible person. So true. who really even knows? Mm-hmm. That is true, too. It is the great what if. Um, and then the last one I'll go really in-depth in is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And his name is Charles Joffin. And he was the baker on the Titanic. That is shown both in this movie and in a night to remember and he's kind of like the comic relief in both like they always show him just drinking and being drunk and there's like this um he's the one who's on the back of the boat when it goes down beside rose and jack he has okay. the flask right oh, he has the flask. The, yeah yeah with the white suit on yeah yeah, yeah that's his bacon gear mm-hmm. um and he it's just like <laughs> you know his bacon gear gone down in history that like it's like People always say that he survived because he was drunk when he went in the water. Yes, yes. Um, but, so, he was a baker on the Titanic. He was only 33 when he went aboard the Titanic. And he wasn't always a baker, but he'd work on plenty of ships. But he kind of, like, worked his way up to be the head baker. He had, I think, like, 13 people under him. And he was trained to be a fine pastry chef. He liked to make chocolate eclairs and napoleons. And he made these, like, amazing christening cakes, apparently. Ooh. Yeah, if you're into that. I've never um, had one in a while. <laughs> so, heathen. I'm a heathen. Uh, he you were baptized. You just didn't have a cake. Yeah, me either. Um, he was from Southampton as well, which one of the things that I didn't realize is they were talking about, like, the Titanic went down, a ton of people died, obviously, but the whole town of Southampton lost a ton of people because it was one of these towns where all these families lived and these people just got jobs on the boat. Oh, I like didn't even pole, think of the that. The shovelers and the people. Yeah, the it like devastated oh, this town. Shufflers. Yeah, so they would just like live there for a couple months, wait for right. work to come, and then go on these boats and do it. And um, so yeah, that's kind of a bummer moment, but. He was, when the Titanic struck, it was like 11.40 p.m. So everyone's going to bed for the night. Everything in the boat was closing. Um, So he was in his bunk with the crew. And he heard, obviously he felt it. Um, So he went up to see what was going on. And he saw that they were loading lifeboats. So he started going through his checklist of like, what do I need to do now? And he knew that he had to load all of these loaves of bread onto the lifeboats. So he's, and there were these other, like, they called them bickies. They were like little biscuits. Um, uh-huh. So he loaded all the lifeboats with bread and he had all of his crew, or, well, he didn't do it. He had all his crew start doing that. Um, and then he started to help for the lifeboats at like 1230 or something. And one of the things I didn't realize was like all these women were really scared to get on the boats because they had to jump on them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were in like dresses. Um, and I'm not they sure thought, they could athletically make it to yeah. the boat. And they just like, I don't know, they thought the ship was unsinkable. So yeah, know, they a lot of them thought they were going to be safer on staying on the ship. Um, yeah. So he had to. And they didn't want to, it was women and children. So if you were with your husband, yeah, you know, you were like, I wouldn't be leaving. Uh, yeah, I know. Boat. I know. So he had to throw at least one woman onto a boat, like literally pick her up and throw her onto a boat. Well, he wouldn't have been Um, able to do that with me, so. (laughs) So 
Then he got to lifeboat 10 and he was assigned to that boat. Like all these lifeboats had crew members assigned, like going into this, uh, into the sailing. Like if something goes down, you're assigned to lifeboat 10 right. to row it. Cause I mean, what's a woman going to do? I mean, my uh, God. <laughs> so he was assigned to lifeboat 10, but when he got to lifeboat 10, there were already two men on the boat to row it. And they don't really know why, what happened, but so he was shut out of luck there. Billy Zane got on there with a kid. <laughs> yeah. It's so that's when. Like, oh, society has crumbled. These plans mean nothing. I'm getting on this boat, motherfuckers. Yeah. 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 So then he's like on the poop deck. And this is where, this is when he started drinking. Cause he said he really, he actually was drinking that night because he was supposed to be on this fucking lifeboat. Somebody else gets on it and he's like, okay, shit. What am I going to do now? I'm going to um, drink. However, in all the movies, it's portrayed that he's drinking whiskey, but he was actually drinking schnapps. Oh, uh, probably Maine. Yep. A yes. good German, go, a good German uh -huh. boy. Um, as so, doctor strikes me, I got Hendrix gin in my go bag. <laughs> so, and then he was like, then he took a break. He's drinking. A, he did drink some water, and he noticed people rushing the deck. Um, so he joined them, and he said he really did run up the um, like what that scene where they all had to run up to the top yeah. of the boat. Like that really happened. Um, and he, as the ship finally sank, he wrote it down as if it were an elevator. Just like in the movie with Jack and Rose. He was... He, how did he escape the suction? Well... You know? like with, well see, Jack said, hold your breath. I mean, take a... Yeah, breath. You, I mean, yeah, to hold your breath. People, you had to hold your breath and... So it goes down. And then let go when you hit the water. It had to be like, I don't know the physics, but I'm guessing there's like that shaft because everything's pulling down around it. So there would be maybe like this this middle yeah. kind of like, like yeah. the center of a tornado, how that's called. But I don't even maybe think... that's it. Well, he said he wrote it down like an elevator, not even getting his head under the water. And he said his head may have been wetted, but no more. And oh. he was, so he was the last survivor to leave the Titanic. And he, he was, was also drunk off his ass on schnapps. <laughs> well, he said um, that his life vest helped him so much that his hair never got that wet. Oh, he interesting. Had life vest on, and he treaded water for two hours before being saved by one of the lifeboats. Um, wow. So one of the things that was, so he obviously like went on to live a life and he had a family and he never talked about the bad parts of the Titanic. Like obviously he was interviewed when he got onto the Carpathia and like the newspapers are interviewing him, but he was one of the first people it's thought to have seen the iceberg like way in the distance. I mean, you wouldn't have known it was, or I don't know, or maybe when he went up to see what was going on, I think it was when he saw it. And he told his family, because he didn't want everybody to be scared, so he told his family he knew it was an iceberg when he saw it because there was a polar bear waving at him. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And he went on to live his life in Patterson, New Jersey. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Man. Yeah. You know, that like the stuff that he don't talk about. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. Well, I thought that he was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that is. And I'm glad that we have the the true stories of people, the survivors, so that you can 
have an idea of of the true loss all the loss that that happened and and you know like put real people in the forefront instead of you know like our our movie heroes and such well and even like the captain of the ship captain smith was that his name bernard smith i think he got a lot of shit like Mm -hmm. you know but it was seen that he did a back float in the water with a baby on his chest to give the baby to a lifeboat Oh, and like, yeah, there's like yeah. a whole, the whole episode of, you know, like, I don't think they do you, there's only so much you could do in a movie and they're trying to make, you know, right. watch it. but right. there's like a whole bunch of people who help save people's lives. Oh who, yeah. I mean, the men on the ship, this is the only, like I said, this is the only time I've ever felt bad for men in my life, but like, they all knew they were going to die. They just had to right. help people. Yeah. And yeah. like saying like, oh, it's going to be okay. I'm going to see you when you. Exactly. Like exactly. in New York. Like with, This is like our John last Astor. goodbye. And then, then I'm going to say hello. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that I, when I was watching this movie and because I, you know, as a little kid, because it was in 1985 that Ballard found the wreckage. So I remember a couple years after that, we had this National Geographic VHS tape mm-hmm. about it, and I just watched it over and over again. And I was fascinated. I think the thing that gets little kids fascinated about it is that you just hear basically the elevator pitch of, like, this was this, the biggest ship ever at the time. They said it was unsinkable. It goes out on its first voyage, and it hits an iceberg and sinks. And they said it was unsinkable. And in my mind, I'm always like, how could a boat be unsinkable? Like, to but me, it doesn't make sense. didn't ever even say it was unsinkable. But then when they, like, in the movie, I thought that they did a good job. And they also do a good job in uh, the Ghost of the Abyss documentary of explaining why they said that, again, it's that unsinkable. It, it's just a way to convey it to to, to people it's advertising basically that unseeable yeah. just advertising but I didn't, I didn't realize it until I rewatched the movie about why they said that and how it had the, the different sections so that if it got hit then this section yeah. would fill up and it would still be able to float and this section would fill up and it would still be able to float and it wasn't mm-hmm. until like all these years later of realizing like oh the iceberg hit, but it probably didn't hit because icebergs, the tip is the, the smallest section usually of an iceberg. Yeah. So whatever, it's it's like vast underneath it. So it's just seeing the tip. It kind of gets hit underneath and then it goes across and then it just fills up all of the, like it just like outthwarted. It was, it was almost as if, the earth was like a giant you thought <laughs> to the time. Yeah, because like, Billy Zane says even God couldn't sink this ship. And God and like, went, not so fast. But also in the movie, what I what I didn't catch is how calm the ocean was. Uh-huh. And, that, and then, then the captain is like, yeah, but that just means it's going to be hard. And they didn't have radar. That's like sonar going out around them. It's just relying on these guys. Neither one of them are wearing glasses, by the way. So how? Oh, more on that later. Oh. 
and there you're having to look out into darkness to see icebergs and i didn't it only dawned on me when i rewatched it about the way if it was a calm ocean how yeah you wouldn't be able to see the waves hitting and like you're just basically looking and then it, it's almost as if they might as well have been in fog because at least if it had been in fog they would have slowed down but yeah. because the weather is so perfect and the, it's so crisp they're like oh we can oh we got this ferrari engine behind us open yeah. that up boys let's cruise and it's like well wait a second that's just that hindsight of like just because you can go fast doesn't, Doesn't mean, mean you can. Yeah. I have 10, 10 reasons why the Titanic sank. Oh, oh great. Well, okay. Are, are you those... going to them now? No, I am not. That's Tasty Nuggets, baby. Oh, okay. I still, I got a, a few little nerd alerts. Like I wrote down knots because in movies I always hear about knots. Mm -hmm. 22 knots. And I'm like, I don't know what a, I know it's a nautical mile, but I don't, I can't compute in my head. Well, one knot is equal to 1.5 miles per hour. So now you oh, know. Okay, one and a half. So their top speed was 23 knots. So it was basically close 30, to like 30 25. Yeah, still seems pretty slow. It would have been like 25 like miles per hour or something. But that's such a huge mofo. Yeah. Yeah. And going across, like it's it's so big, and it's just it's it's moving fast. I mean, they these this is 1912. They don't know about jets, and you know, like yeah, we have uh, scooters that you can just rent that go faster than that now. Like they didn't. That was that was a big clip. I have how the size of the Titanic. Mm -hmm. Um. So the Titanic was 882 feet nine inches long and so how like i wanted to all right what the, what does that mean to me it's 2.5 soccer pitches so when you watch the olympics mm -hmm. okay. the soccer pitches two and a half of those long and then it's a soccer pitch wide oh. okay uh, can you put that in true football terms for me pretty much the same i guess yeah because well you can do it when a sock uh, a soccer pitch is wider than a football field but i think its length is it fits thereabouts because sometimes right, you'll right. see like when the the nfl goes to england and plays at like wembley stadium and stuff you'll see the football field and you can see where the soccer pitch is within the field okay um okay. it to compare it so now like we have these um these huge ocean the cruise ships so symphony of the seas it's one of the world's largest cruise liners it's 1,184 feet, five inches long. So it's, um, it's too it's, long. It's way bigger than the Titanic. I'm not, I'm not getting on a cruise ship, people. Those, that, those cruise happening. ships, like those Symphony of the Seas, if you were to stand them vertical, they would be almost as tall as the Empire State Building. Uh -huh. No. Uh -uh. Yeah. I'm the, like, those things are. No, I'm not. First that. of all, they're just germ yep. um, 
germ. They're petri dishes. Petri dishes, exactly. And you know what? I got I got two sides of the family came over to America on ships, two different ways, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> and. And the best way was steerage. So yeah, the, the best way was the way one of them came over in steerage. <laughs> so I, the family has done the time on the old ships. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so okay. I love the beach, but the, I like to be able to see my land. Um, <laughs> so are we now to reheat a move? Well, I do have a few nerd alerts of just about 1912. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What was going on in 1912? Because we don't really do too many films oh. back in 1912. So just to to paint the picture of what the Titanic, the world that the Titanic sank in, the Republic of China was established. Wow. That, that was interesting. New Mexico became the 47th state, and Arizona became the 48th state. Interesting. Those And Arizona was the final state to um, the, con, what is it, the continental United States. Before so we Alaska even, and Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, but those are, you know, when you talk about That's the continental crazy. United States, like that wasn't a thing until 1912. That's crazy. Um, the Tokyo mayor, Yukio Uzaki, gives 3,000 cherry trees to be planted in Washington, <gasps> D.C. Oh, in, wow. 2000, in 1912. 1912, thus starting the every year question of when are these cherry blossoms going to blossom? And being wrong every year. Every year. Do not put your children up in the cherry trees to take their photo. Although I will say the pink filter just is amazeballs. Okay. okay. Um, the time that it took to cross the Atlantic in 1912. So if you're going from New York City to London, it would take you about five days. But with liners, it usually took about a week due to stops at different ports. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like Southampton, and then they went to like someplace in like Ireland. Ireland and, Jesus, and Mary, and Fulk and yeah. Jaws. Which I thought was interesting because the way that the rich people were all setting up their places, I thought like, oh, they're gonna be on this liner for like two weeks, and they're exactly. gonna make it all easy. I get out your like photos. How different people traveled because one of the I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about how he was going. I think in second class or third class, maybe. And could barely afford the ticket, but he spent the equivalent of what would be $3,000 today on buying a fur coat for the trip. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you just had to dress in style to go traveling back then. Well, and it would have been really helpful in those lifeboats. And, and also, like, well, this is a point that I, well, I'll get to that in my reheatables. Um, the final two to paint the picture of 1912, Fenway Park opened in Boston no. in 1912. Oh. My God. And Carl Lemley founded Universal Studios in 1912. Wow. Wow. Because I was just going to say, are there movies from 1912? I think. Obviously, the, there are. I mean, there are because of, like, the motion pictures and stuff. But it's in its infantile stage. Like, super infantile. 
So now we are to our, our negative reheatables. Correct. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna blast in here. The whole spitting, I I just that was gross. That was I gross. Just, and then oh. when he had his spit on, on his, his face, yeah. I just kept going, wipe it. Uh-huh. Oh, that was and evidently that was ad libbed. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, classism. I mean, uh, not listening to experts. Dude <laughs> yeah, wanted yeah. them to go faster because they could, and they wanted to set a record. Yeah, that was. Yeah, and then just the, and, and also being um, overrun by money. Yeah. Because he was money the one, again. and he and he wanted to get in faster, and you know the captain's kind of like. You know, it's the beginning of April. We're going through the North Atlantic. It's kind of cold. There are these things called icebergs. I don't think that's like, do we want to go fast while we're pl- plunging through the darkness without sonar? Uh, speaking of which, I said at the beginning of this podcast, August, it was April, not August. Oh, you said August? We didn't even catch that. Yeah, thank you yeah. for being there for me, everybody. Um, the boats that were half full and even less because at one point Rose's mother says, are we going to be seated by class? Mm-hmm. Because I certainly mm. can't have a steerage person in my lifeboat with me. Just the, the the lack of awareness of the situation of just like, well, hi, you know, like, no, this is a, like your life is a, like we are all on the same playing field right now. And that's who's living and who's dying. Exactly. You know, like exactly. not like, hmm, but I would like may I have my own cabin, please. Hmm. And uh, Victor Garber's Irish accent. Every once in a while it showed up. Oh. Not frequent. Okay. <laughs> so, so those are my negatives. Um, Mine, I said, this bitch is over 100 years old and they made her come to the boat. <laughs> yes. Like, not like, we'll come to you. They made her come to where the most traumatic event of her life happened. Exactly. Yes. At 101. And she's, yeah, traveling. And then just the way she travels, though, is then also shame on them. But then also, Rose, you're going back to the most traumatic place. Exactly. Uh, incident happened. Yeah, but she's got to she- have everything that makes her feel comfortable. I don't blame yeah. her for that. The goldfish was, it made me, re- I had to write down in my notes, like, now I have to reassess who this Rose is. Like, bringing this goldfish. I know it was done by Cameron as a... Uh, lighter moment. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, but, goldfish have a life expectancy of about a week. Yeah. So, um, and then I wrote, I only wrote two down. The other one, I just wrote, women and machinery do not mix. Oh yeah. Hmm. And those were my two. <laughs> that was the quote. Oh, the, oh, you're saying like the bad reheatable is the quote, the woman in the machine. The quote that yeah. women in machine. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Because it sounds, okay. 
that we needed to clarify that because yeah. no, it came across as yeah because oh, i don't agree with that yeah exactly oh. exactly there we yeah. go that's why i did that i was like no not tv that, what? is that christine in the back there saying that yeah okay clarified yeah all right mine brock's hair and earring just uh, it's aged bad yeah the earring That's was a the, bit it was it's a bit over the, the top. The frosted, grown-out, shaggy frosted look. tips. Erin, it was 1997. I know, but that's why it's it's a battery heatable. And the earring. Frosted you, tips. It was so funny. Much. Um, Brody's lack of self-awareness when he's explaining how the Titanic sunk to the survivor. Yeah. He's talking about like we like he's on a podcast like right, he's right. of just like cracking these jokes and like oh and, and meanwhile he's talking to a woman who lived that horror it was just yeah that was that oh. was not that was a negative reheat I agree well That's, done you you need to know your audience that's a classic know your audience yes um. We already mentioned it, which is how like bro- Rose bring in the whole the the goldfish, and then then we find out later at the end how she goes to become an actress, and then I was like, ah, now it kind of tracks. If if she was an actress, she's going on location, she's bringing the goldfish. To her, she's just going back on location. She's an artist. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know if I would be so keen to go back to the sea if I was. I raised. don't think I would have. No. I mean, the exact spot where it went down. No, thank you. Yeah, I was like, I survived it. But I had to do it so she could die there. Well, drop the necklace there. She didn't die there. Yeah, she did. Yeah. So oh, like, she. They, they, okay, two different dies. Dogs. I remember this. That's she how died. she. That's how yeah. she was seeing. That's how she was reunited with Leo in the end. She died because I swing. thought she was gonna go over the railing and jump into the ocean, but she just what had a heart attack there or whatever. She, she, she's she 101. Yeah. She just. She was like, I. Uh, she tapped out. She was like, ah, I did. I've done it. I've done everything that I've... But really, needed. couldn't she have left the necklace for her granddaughter? Well, I do have that down as a That's what I have. I almost have negative reheatable. Yeah! So like, put a, in it. put a pin in it. All right. Oh, uh, well, okay. We already mentioned about the... the the Is a slave ship and how, yeah, they were... Uh, also, Rose, there were no Monets or Picassos or Champagne on slave ships. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> well done. Pointing well that done. out as well. Um, all that coal. It. So I got this from TitanicFacts.net, but a hundred tons of ash was dumped into the sea each day. Wow. So uh, everyone who's about to experience another heat dome. <laughs> This is this is uh where it all begins, the industrial age. Yeah. All that coal, all that steam going up into the air. Yeah. yeah it's uh, that's an yeah. inconvenient truth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. The fact that okay, it's mid to early April in the North Atlantic, 
I would have thought it would have been grayer, colder, and wetter. Oh, more on that. Just be, oh. be, you know, just in that there, it just seems That's like what Adam could, was saying when they were like, I'm king of the world. You know, their, their hair would have been, it would have been like really windy. And oh, like, yeah. 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 Very cold, very misty. More on that later as well. Okay. I could okay. totally see Adam climbing up there, climbing up on all that shit, getting on the other side. He would have totally done all of that. Yeah, but again, he would have, but he wouldn't have been put in a position for that to happen. Because again, well, bushes don't do ships. <laughs> so... So, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Okay. Old Rose tossing the necklace into the ocean. I understand that it's, it's the perfect ending to the film. I get all of that. Money but, doesn't matter. But it could have to her damn granddaughter. That's what yes. I was when I was when I first watched the film. I'm like weeping. I didn't have a problem with it. But older Aaron watching this, I'm like, wait a second. First of all, she kept it all these years. Yeah. So she's lived a hundred plus years, but she's kept it. And then second, and then now to just to toss it in, just drop then, it in the ocean. Right. But then what about? How much does she hate slash distrust her family? Like that's a, that is a uh, like a what do you call it? That's just a safety deposit for your family for the future. Right, right. You know that you don't like. Yeah, Rose was able to come to America and do her thing and have a nice family and stuff. Now I'm going to th- just toss my family's uh, basically golden parachute, if you will. Into the bottom of the ocean? What? I mean, um, it could be in the Smithsonian right now for other people to enjoy. I'm saying, like, I understand if you didn't think that your your family could handle and it was sentimental. That's a, like you put that in a safety deposit box and you have your papers drawn up. And then when you you kick off this planet, then somebody goes to look in and then they it's like, all right, look, this is what hap- This is what it is. And it's up to y'all to figure out how you would like this. Ideally, I would like you to go to the Smithsonian or save this for a rainy day and sell it and keep the family. But, you know, you're off the planet. So, it, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you just basically just gave up a whole bunch of wealth to your family and you of all people know about class and the things that families like your own mother was going to sell you off to keep up with the your rich thing and you basically started a whole new life on your own and you're not going to have like just that in your pocket for your granddaughter of like hey you don't have to marry the first rich guy so that you'll be okay like I have this for you like that's a she don't even, we don't see her daughter, but we see her granddaughter. Damn, that's cold-blooded, Rose. Mm-hmm. Cold-blooded. Okay, so now we are to positive reheatables. Which we will continue on our next episode next week. 
Bye. Bye. Bye.